Liberty lockdown, please scan your barcode Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold Where did it come from and where did it go? It requires a fight, not tweeting from your phone Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne If you ride with the thought, you've always got a home The virus you're scared of will come and it'll go The government knows this, don't get treated like a hoe Let's get into the show Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Liberty Lockdown. I have the enigmatic uh, Han Solo slash, what's his name from Parks and Rec? Ron Swanson. Ron Swanson, <laughs> amalgamation, known as Kurt, the Libertarian, <laughs> a.k.a. Checkmate State. How you doing, buddy? Doing good. How are you, Clint? <laughs> I'm good, man. I've been looking forward to this. I I, uh, I don't know how I, I came across your account, but I, I felt an immediate kinship. You are definitely a... Uh, a soldier in this fight and you have have made a, a quick name for yourself so um welcome and thank you for coming on what what changed your mind about about doing podcasts i know you were hesitant to do them before <laughs> you know i don't know it was it's it's a new medium for me i'm kind of used to like the twitter format where you can take a few minutes to think through an answer and it's like oh i'm gonna be on the spot you know but right i don't know i guess it try it out see how it goes <laughs> you were the second person to ask me so but the first pod i've ever been on so that's oh i'm the first that's cool oh hell you're yeah gonna, yeah you're gonna go down in history as the first ever podcaster to interview kurt yep the the first libertarian president of the united states i cannot believe i get to ha- have this honor Incredible, <laughs> yeah that's man. not gonna happen <laughs> <laughs> well um I don't know. I don't know what kind of uh, privacy levels you're keeping. So, how about you? You give me uh, as much of your background and as much as you're willing to give as as to your story and your path to libertarianism, everything like that. Um, yeah. So, I, I I don't know if my story's that interesting. I I if I was going to give credit to anybody for turning me into a libertarian, I'd probably give it to Donald Trump because. Um, he was the one who made me realize I was not a Republican. <laughs> Interesting. So, yeah. So, I mean, uh, Ron Paul had, had definitely, uh, had the seeds. I voted for him in both of the, uh, the, uh, primaries in 2008 and 2012, but I didn't really get on the libertarian train then. Um, but 2016, it was like, okay, I need to look somewhere else. So I just like wondered Hey, maybe I'm a, a libertarian. And uh, so I did some searching. I searched on Google, like libertarian philosophers, important libertarian thinkers, and found uh, like Milton Friedman, read some books by him, watched like some, some YouTube videos, some of the talks that he gave and stuff like that. And Milton Friedman is awesome. I like, I loved Milton Friedman. I ate up everything I could find of his. <laughs> um, and then found Thomas Sowell and he was awesome. And really, I think the thing that like put me over the edge was finding Tom Woods though. That was like, I like went back and listened to all of his back episodes and all that kind of stuff and read a bunch of stuff from the Mises Institute. And now here I am. So I guess that's the story. That's awesome, man. Well, um, do you want to tell us anything about what you do professionally or, or is that off limits? Uh, I mean, it's, it's all boring. I'm just like a, just, just a boring guy. I was like 
a wife and kids, lives in the suburbs, works like a corporate job. <laughs> nothing, <laughs> nothing interesting there. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm interested. So it sounds as if, if Trump convinced you that you weren't a conservative or Republican, um, that, that implies that you probably were prior. Is that a correct assumption? So, yes, that is correct. I was a pretty standard run-of-the-mill Republican before that. So, well, then was... God, God bless Tom Woods for taking another one off their list of <laughs> victims. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he definitely deserves a lot of credit for it. I, I mean, I would, I'm, I'm probably the only person who wasn't alive in the '70s who credits Milton Friedman to a large <laughs> degree for my, uh, <laughs> my conversion to libertarianism, but. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, well, he's definitely for, a big part of it. But Tom Woods. Yeah. And, for, and Tom Woods corrected me. He he pointed out all the issues with uh with Milton Friedman too. I, I understand that now, but still I have a lot of respect for that guy. No, absolutely. I I think it's a, a huge mistake to to demonize people that aren't as, you know, as red pilled as we are. Like you I, I try and remind people that like, hey, you were asleep at some point. So how about you have a little bit of kindness for these people that are you know, maybe one year ago, you would have, would have agreed with every other word that they had to say. But now this year, you think they're an idiot because they haven't, you know, drank the Kool-Aid quite as deeply as you have. It's like, have some patience, man. Yeah, Friedman was good. Friedman was good. He wasn't perfect, but he's, uh, he was heading in the right direction. Yeah, and he got some, he got stuff done. Like a lot of libertarians that are a lot purer than him didn't, they didn't abolish the draft, you know. <laughs> um, yeah. but he, he has, he deserves a lot of credit for as much freedom as we have and there's plenty to complain about about not having freedom but he deserves credit for a good amount of it in my opinion so i i have so much respect for plus he's like the most amazing communicator ever like if, if you watch like ben shapiro dunks on college student videos or something like that and if you like those like go watch like <laughs> um Milton Friedman dunks on college student videos because he he was like the original. <laughs> he was the and original he, Shapiro. He did yeah, it way no. better than even Ben Shapiro does. <laughs> yeah, I haven't I haven't watched it in years, but I, I need to go back. I, I do remember him being an impressive orator, so um, I'll check him out again. Well, I, I had some questions from uh, the Twitter squad that I, I think are fun and interesting. So uh, let's start off. Uh, are you a Fed? Um. <laughs> Depends on what your definition of R is. Or oh, oh, yikes! All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna pencil you in as DEA agent. Yeah, you gotta. You, I, I just can't answer that question. If I told you, I'd have to kill you. I guess. Oh, jeez! So. All right. Well, it, it's funny. It's funny because it came from um, Kenzie Puff, who constantly gets accused of being a uh, a fed herself. So, and I, I've I've had her on my show. I can assure you, she is not that, nor is she a catfish. She is actually who she says. So, everyone, relax. Um, but I, <laughs> I do think it's interesting that of all the people to, to push you away from conservatism, that Donald Trump would be that, uh, I'm curious as to why, I mean, granted, he's, he's a populist. He, he doesn't believe in free trade. Um, there's certain, there's certain aspects of his presidency that definitely would dissuade me from, uh, calling myself a Republican, but compared to the downfalls of say the Bush presidency, um, from my perspective, it was much more egregiously anti-libertarian uh, just due to the massive military intervention. So what, what was it particularly about Trump that bummed you out so much? So, I mean, I, I think I was pretty blue-pilled at the time. So 
I think there was some of that, you know, like some of the things that people complain about Trump, the blue pill people complain about Trump, like his demeanor and stuff like that. But I mean, I, I understood economics pretty well. One of his big planks was, um, you know, he was anti-free trade and it was obvious to me that that wasn't the way to go. So, yep. you know, and, and I didn't like moving in that direction. Um, I've also always been like, I, I grew up in an area where the Republican party is like really anti-immigrant and I always felt real uncomfortable with that. <laughs> like sure. um, I've never been an immigration hawk, even, even when I was just a regular old Republican. And it was, I don't know, like going when, when Trump took over and it looked like that was the main focus of the Republican party. It was just, Hey, it's time to look somewhere else and see what else is going on. It was just, you know, his two main planks I completely disagreed with. It was like, obviously I don't fit in with this guy. That was kind of the, the, the thought process that I had. And, uh, and yeah, that's fair. some of the things that I was critical of him before, you know, I'm less critical of now um, <laughs> after being a little more red pilled, but right. it's uh, th- th- those two things really bothered me a lot about him. Yeah. I, and they still do. Those are probably still my main problems with them at this point. Well, it's, it's, it's funny to me because like the thing that, that most, you know, kind of standard conservatives hate about him is the one thing I love is that he's, he's not a political creature. He's, he says the wrong things. He speaks off the cuff. He does all these things that you're not supposed to do in that position. And from, you know, the libertarian perspective, that is a breath of fresh air. Like even if he's a liar and a scumbag and a grifter and all, all these negatives, I like having a president who says the wrong thing. You know, like that is, that is refreshing yes. to me. Um, I, I know that's probably more of my collapsitarian side coming out, but I enjoy seeing the, uh, the veil lifted on the, uh, the establishment. And he's done a better job of that and probably uh, definitely than any president in my lifetime. So I cheers to him for that. But otherwise, yes, he, he, uh, you know, bankrupted us and he hasn't really ended any wars. So I'm, I'm no, no advocate for Trump. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, no, I, I, I think there are definitely good things about him. He and and I have said for a long time, you know, he could have earned my vote, but um, he didn't. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. No, I, I think actually, that's fair. I, I was, I liked him a lot more after he was president than when he was running. He seemed a lot more like a crazy wild card, you know. Was, I, I definitely had those concerns about him. Like, hey, who who are we giving the the nuclear codes to? Like, <laughs> this doesn't make sense. And and he. I wasn't worried about that anymore after a short amount of time. You know, he's, he's definitely the most anti-war president we've had for a long time. So I, I kudos think to him for that. But yeah, I think that's an important point to make actually is that, you know, he came across as such a wild card and, and potentially dangerous. And, you know, if he wasn't running up against Hillary, who I knew would use nukes, I, I probably would have been more concerned about him having the <laughs> nuclear codes too. So, um, but I think that's an interesting point to make. And, and it's that it seems to me that the presidency has the capacity to prevent war, but it doesn't have the the capacity to really dictate where the wars go. It seems as if the, you know, and I know this sounds conspiratorial, but whatever, this is what I believe. Uh, I believe that the the plans are laid out, you know, regardless, uh, you say it's from the deep state, say it's from, you know, CIA, whoever. Um, but it seems to me that, you know, they have certain countries in their crosshairs. They wait for opportunities to pounce. And if they have a president in there that's hesitant he might actually be able to stop a few. Like, I think we probably would have invaded um, Iran potentially under Clinton uh, in early January. And I think we also probably would have uh, 
invaded Venezuela. Um, so do you, do you agree with me that Trump has probably prevented some wars or do you think it's, it's overstating his, uh, his capacity? So, um, like on Iran, Iran, I think you have a, a good point there. Like there, there were some provocations that happened that may have led, you know, a Hillary Clinton or, you know, John McCain or Mitt Romney to, to invade. But I also think he has a lot of the blame for the position that we were in. Um, like, sure, I, I really think pulling out of the Iran nuclear deal was a huge mistake. Mm-hmm. And that was the reason why Iran was being so provocative. So yeah, I think I think he pulled out under the direction of John Bolton, honestly. It, it's, it's very possible. But still, I mean, it was a mistake. You didn't have to do that. You know, I don't oh, think no, the I'm not, wanted him to I'm do not, that. But... I'm not excusing it at all. I'm just saying that that, that, that again falls on Trump's shoulders. He, he decided to put Bolton, you know, in his, in his cabinet. And that was just a catastrophic mistake. And I think it's because he's not a deep thinker. He's not a, he's not a deep reader that, that actually understood anything about John Bolton. He just was like a Fox news watcher who was like, who, who do I see on Fox news who talks about national defense a lot? And he's like this guy. And then he gets him in there and he's like, Oh, this dude's a fucking psychopath. Like why, why am I, <laughs> why did I give him any say, but uh, it took a few years for him to figure it out. But uh, you know, God bless. He, he didn't end up following through with any of his big master plans, which is about as nice a thing as I can say about him. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I think some of it might just be that, oh, Obama did that. You know, I'm, I'm opposed to it just for that reason. True. Um, yeah. it, it was clear, which, clear he wanted to end it because it was Obama's achievement. Yeah, absolutely. Which, you know, that's fine. And there's plenty that Obama did that should be ended, but the one good thing he did, <laughs> you know, yeah. There's there's no reason to end that. So uh, that that's the frustration. I, I mean, I give him some credit for not going to war with Iran, but he wouldn't have even been in that place if he had he just stuck with the Iran nuclear deal, in my opinion. So that's that, that's my take on on yeah. his. Well, I, I how think much credit he deserves for. Yeah. No, I think that's fair, and I I think Venezuela was was a better example of one that he probably hadn't set up, and then he also um, dragged his feet and and kind of rejected the notion that we should be intervening in that country. So um, it, on a few fronts, I mean, he's the first president in my lifetime that hasn't started a new war. I mean, that's as crazy as that sounds. Yeah. I, I, I can't do anything but give him credit because for me, that's the thing I care most about. Um, you know, secondarily would be uh, fiscal side of things, but uh, fiscal side of things is deeply impacted by war. So for me, the first and foremost right. thing, moral and financial is to end the wars or to at least not start any since we're, the bar is so low if you just continue the wars that we're already in, but you don't start anymore, I, I have to applaud you. And that's not, that's not exactly high praise, but it is what it is. Uh, did you, did you end up uh, secretly voting for Joe or secretly voting for Trump? Uh, are, and are you in a swing state where it would matter? And if you were, would you have voted for Trump instead of Joe Jorgensen? So yes, I do live in a swing state. Ooh. Um, and yes, I did vote for Joe. Um, so you're responsible for Biden. <laughs> I'm kidding. I, I hate Here, it when people talk about a single vote like that. <laughs> well, my hot take is that really I, the thing that actually probably annoyed me the most about the the Joe Jorgensen campaign, and this will surprise people a little bit because there were other things that annoyed um, a lot of people <laughs> yeah. um, a lot more. But when she would go on and say like, "If you're not in a swing state, just vote for me," you know, right. I was like, 
swing states are the only places votes matter, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, even if you're voting third party. So I, I mean, if, if I was in charge of her campaign, I would have voted or I would have campaigned hundred percent of the time in Pennsylvania, Florida, Arizona, Michigan, Wisconsin, like who cares about the rest of the states? All you care about is getting votes where it matters because nobody notices the votes. You know, you get 3% in, I don't know, New Mexico or something like that. Nobody cares. So yeah. that would have been, that would have been my strategy. So um, I felt more of an urge to vote for Joe in a swing state than I would have felt if I was somewhere. Else. I might not have even voted if I was in a non-swing state. That was, that was my kind of thought behind it. I, I think that's reasonable. Uh, I think the the question, you know, just kind of putting myself in the shoes of the listener here. Um, do you not view Biden as the existential threat that I do? <laughs> I mean, and, and um, this is this is not to say that that Trump is like taking us in the right direction, but. I'm pretty sure we would both agree that that Biden isn't going to improve things from the libertarian perspective. So I'm I'm strangely optimistic about Biden. Wow. Um, okay. I'm, I'm an optimistic then person why, in general. Why fill me, Kurt? Not, Let's go. <laughs> not not because Biden deserves it. He's he's terrible. But um, I think first of all, Republicans actually do a better job of resisting when a democrat is in office you yeah, know that's, like that's a given trump okay. just spent like crazy and you never heard a peep out of the republicans they never resisted at all he grew the spending way faster than than obama did and and republicans just went along with it you know he passed more gun control than obama did i mean granted it was only bump stocks but still that's more than obama did and obama couldn't do it because republicans were doing their job and fighting his, uh, you know, fighting against him. And even on like a foreign policy front, you know, going back to the Iran nuclear deal, I think there's a good chance that he'll go back into that. So that, I think that will actually reduce the chance of war with Iran. He may, he may be hawkish on other things. And so I, I'm not like super hopeful that it will improve, but I think it's, I think it's possible. I mean, the, the truth is he completely took down Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren um, you know, I, I think he might be even more effective at taking power away from like the radical left side of the, the spectrum than even like a Trump would. Trump will be combative, combative against them, but sometimes just being like, just Appeasing. getting in power, being in the same party and then ignoring them, sometimes that can be more effective at actually preventing well, them from yeah, doing it's Yeah, it's, it's a perfect example of what happened with the right. I mean, I think had Obama been in power, and they decided to lock us in our fucking houses for eight months. I think the right wing would have had a much bigger issue with it if it wasn't, you know, Papa Orange Jesus that was telling us what to do. Um, so exactly. in that regard, yes, I agree. And, you know, I, if you're looking for peace, though, you know, not, not global peace, but peace in this country, I think a Biden presidency is extraordinarily dangerous because the right wing, who is the actual, you know, armed and, you know, more, <laughs> more lethally capable uh, side of things, I think will be activated big time under a Biden presidency. So that that's probably my biggest concern. Um, it's also not really a concern because I kind of support uh, a little bit more of a, a aggressive pushback against this tyranny. Even though I don't I don't want to see any violence, I would like to have um, 
I don't know, I guess a little bit of fear put in these people and hopefully a little bit more respect for us when it comes to our, our civil liberties, because clearly if we don't put up a fight at some point, this is going to get completely out of hand. Where, where do you fall on that? Are you as, as uh, concerned as I am? I would imagine so. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's an interesting point as far as like violence goes. I mean, no, not, not necessarily the violence, I, I don't know. but I, as far, as far as our civil liberties go, like at, at what point do you, I mean, for me, we're way past the point that I thought we would have had uprisings. So at what point do you think right. it's it's justified? I know this is, you know, total Fed posting to even ask you this, but I'm just being honest, like you have to have a line at which, and you can just speak hypothetically if you prefer, at which you would say, okay, like we have to defend ourselves here. Like this is a violation of the NAP. <laughs> and and I think we're, for, from my vantage point, we're already past that. I know some people feel differently. I'm just curious where you fall on it. So, I mean, I'm... I, I guess I am sympathetic to the idea that we're past it, you know, when you're being locked in your home, especially you being in California, you've, you've gotten it worse than I think um, a lot of other places have. So I, I understand where that's coming from. Yeah, it's I mean, I, I guess I'm a little more, um, I, I'm a little more practical in the sense that like it's justified. So like morally, if you look at it and say, Hey, you know, we're defending ourselves. I, I can completely understand that, but I also don't know whether it's the best tactical move to I, I <laughs> move in that direction. That, that's the thought. only reason I haven't so, done it, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, do you, it's going to be have interesting a line, to see what happens for sure. Do you, do you have a line at which, I mean, if they, if they keep us locked down for say another 18 months, like we're two years deep into this shit and you're looking around and the economy's collapsed. They're basically just printing money. They've taken us off fiat currency. We're now on the, you know, uh, central bank cryptocurrency. Like th this is all their plan. Uh, they state it pretty openly under the world economic forums, uh, you know, great reset stuff. And I, yes, I know it sounds conspiratorial, but they are, they are drafting reports saying exactly what they intend to do to us. And it seems as if they're using um, COVID-19 as an opportunity to take us in that direction. Do you, do you buy into that? Do you think that it's overstated as far as a risk goes? And, and if, if they are serious and if they start doing that, and if there's like a global, um, you know, reset that they're trying to dictate that keeps us basically enslaved for eternity, it's like, at some point you have to, you know, stand up for yourself. At least that's my vibe on it. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I would definitely go down the road or the, the route of civil disobedience more than anything else, you know? I mean, sure. I, I really have no intention of complying with, with um, lockdown orders. And, and the truth is like, um, I was actually exposed to someone who tested positive for COVID like a week and a half ago. Mm -hmm. And my family and I, we haven't really gone out since then because, you know, we don't want to pass it on to somebody. I, I believe the virus is real. And I think, hey, if you- so do I you know, it's common courtesy not to pass the virus on to people. But if I'm not at above average risk at the time, I'm just going to go out and live my life. You know, that's, that's my plan. And I, I think people are fed up with it. I think that's going to end up being what happens. You know, I mean, part of the, we talk a lot about like the Gavin Newsom's that are having dinners and Nancy Pelosi's that are going to hair salons and stuff like that. And how right. it shows that they're, um, you know, that they're hypocritical, but it also shows that they have no intention of a, complying with this either right you know um so even even the people that are um on twitter 
and on social media begging for more lockdowns, you know, I, I honestly don't think that they really have that much of an intention of complying with those lockdowns. I think they're going to go out and live their life at this point. So that would, yeah. that would be the route that I would, I would recommend to people. Uh, violence is, I, it's I a just last don't resort. see that as a, no, yeah, no, I, it's, I agree. It's a total last resort. I, this would, this would only be applicable from my vantage point if we get to the point of, um, you know, violent enforcement. Like if, if they start sending, you know, police around kind of, if they, if they take the China tactic where they start welding people in their fucking houses, like, yeah, I'm going to have a violent yeah. response to that. So I, I hope that we never get there. I, I agree with you that much of it is virtue signaling, particularly from the lefties that are out there begging for additional lockdowns and harsher restrictions. These people, the ones that I know in real life, you know, one of my buddies, actually, he gives me shit all the time that I, I don't take COVID seriously. And I'm like, dude, you're on hinge. Like you're dating regularly. And I know, I know you're sleeping right. with these girls. So what are, what are we even talking about? Like you're doing way more aggressively dangerous stuff than me. And it's just, it's just like, it's more of a social signal than it is an actual signal of your belief system. And, and what bothers me about that though, is that it, it has now it's, it's made this, this political where like, they still have the same human nature as us. Like they still want to be free. They still want to live their lives, but they're willing to, to support tyranny. You know, they're, they're willing right. to support these laws that are completely un-American. And I, I can't, I don't know how to reach these people. Have you, I, I know you, you've done a, a much better job of me maintaining your cool. You're a much more level-headed guy than me, which I appreciate about you. And have you had any luck um, messaging to the left on these topics? Um, I don't, I don't know if my message has really been geared towards the left. I mean, most of the people around me, I, I live in a purple state in the suburbs. Like I said, it's, you know, just people that the, the vast majority of them have just, have just gone about their lives for the last few months, just not really caring what, what is being said. And I, I haven't messaged very much to people on the left about it, but I would message to the people on the right if anybody's listening hey go out and live your life oh, yeah. civil yeah. disobedience right that's 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 the key here yeah um, we we've got to use the left's tactics of civil disobedience I, I completely agree and i'm glad to see it i you know to, to see some of the right-wing blue checks out there that are saying hey you know they're tagging their governors and being like hey i'm gonna have 15 people over at my house bring it and i'm like yes right. you know in, in terms of thanksgiving yeah so i I love it. I, I, I know you're not signaling to the left. I, I meant more when you get into some of those interactions that I've seen you have, some of the legendary ones where you, you know, get people to admit <laughs> that uh, <laughs> Obamacare uh, doesn't earn you the right for insurance in the same way it doesn't earn you the right for the government to buy you a gun. I was like, that's brilliant. Um, that actually brings me to what of all your illustrious Twitter career is your favorite, is your favorite troll or your favorite, uh, I don't know, pugilism um you know it's kind of funny that now infamous exchange <laughs> um which is if anybody wants to look it up it's the uh it's the pin tweet on my on my twitter but i actually took a screenshot of it and i i left it in my um in my drafts for a little while because i was like ah, i don't even know if, if people <laughs> will enjoy this but <laughs> i put it out there and Man, that thing went crazy. <laughs> yeah, you so, know, you but, never know what's going to catch traction. It's it's a weird thing. Yeah, I think the genius of that one though is just that like it's so short. Yes. Um, I, I I I debate people a lot on Twitter, and they they don't 
necessarily um, translate well to a screenshot because a lot of times it's you know 30 40 interactions long but right um that one I, was like six I'm, interactions and you're like checkmate bitch <laughs> <laughs> yeah that one was fun um but i i my favorite is actually when you get somebody with like some credentials that they're flashing at you and like i remember one where some guy kept talking about his Princeton education and he was talking about how he, his his point was just that democracy is like the highest value and i'm i'm not you know a hoppy and anti-democracy person or anything like that but the idea like freedom is a much higher value than democracy and there's no doubt about it and yeah. this guy was just running in circles the whole time you know it was <laughs> he was so proud of his credentials but <laughs> he had he had no <laughs> no place to go once he said that it was that, that was one that was memorable. Unfortunately, it doesn't translate itself out well because it was such a long one. But oh, yeah, that, that... <laughs> I, I've always I've always wanted to ask you: Did you did you set that trap um, on the uh, the Obamacare or whatever you know socialized healthcare supporter? Did you did you set that trap to get him to to tell you exactly that? Like, did you have that all game planned out, or did it just kind of happen? Do you remember? So I know this is a long it, time ago. Um, I do kind of remember. Yeah, it was the the first tweet was um, uh, it was Bernie. He said healthcare is a human right, and uh, and then my response was so is gun ownership, <laughs> and then um, and I I wasn't planning anything at that point, but the the next reply was I think it was like um, he, said, he says no one's trying to take your guns, boomer. No one's trying to take your. And at that point, I did plan out what the next steps were. So okay. <laughs> and I was if, like, if it, I was like, man, this is this is next level chess that you're pulling on these people. By the way, is that where your name came from, Checkmate State? <laughs> um. So, yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm a fan of chess. I'm not a huge fan, but yeah, that's 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 where it came from. Just looking for something. I, I was pretty late to the Twitter game, so looking for something that would be memorable, something that maybe rhymed, and so. Hey, let, let me a little time let me, let, me play, let me play out the string for people just for those that haven't uh, seen this one because it's such a legendary um, you know verbal trap that you run this guy into you say so is gun ownership he says no one's trying to take your guns boomer you respond I'm not worried about people taking my guns I want the government to pay for my guns which I just think is fucking brilliant and then he responds it's the right to be able to own a gun if you want it it's not the right to be given a gun which is just glorious and you go oh is that how rights work then why does everyone say I need to be given healthcare? And it's just like, oh God, I, I dream of dunks <laughs> that hard, you know? <laughs> Anyways, yeah, um, fun. How, how'd you uh, how'd you grow your account so fast, man? You, you went 18 months deep and you're almost 20,000 followers. For no disrespect for, to the ladies out there, but for a man to do that is extraordinary. How'd you pull it <laughs> off? Oh, it, it's hard to say. It's probably... Most of it is that I just spend way too much time on Twitter. I think is, <laughs> is probably half the problem. Um, that, that's that's a necessity if you want to grow the account. Let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, you know, so I'll, I'll give a, a little tip to people out there that are looking to grow their their account. There are a lot of times where I get some mentions that like says something, and I'm always looking for people to follow. And if it's a some of them they say that's funny or something I'll click through and see if they're worth following. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times I would say like people should really work on their 
their bio and their pin tweet. You know, when I go in there, a lot of times I have no idea what this person, what to expect from this person or anything like that. And so sometimes if they don't have a good bio or, you know, they don't have anything in there that it's going to let me know whether they're worth following or not, I don't follow them. So I, I would say if you want to grow your Twitter following, that's something I would definitely recommend working on. It's making sure that that the first thing, the first impression that you have with people is something that's going to let them know what they're going to get. And also, you know, let them know that it's going to be entertaining. Exactly. <laughs> no, no, I think that's, that's exactly right. And I haven't looked at yours in the longest time. Uh, yours says, don't hate people, hate ideas, ideas. I hate gun control, socialism, police brutality, roads, collectivism and racism, central planning, war and Canadians. And that's just such a great, that's such a great end to that because I'm sure you don't really hate Canadians, but maybe you do. Tell me about that. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. I'm not a fan of surf jockeys either. I, I feel you. Um, <laughs> well, that, that's, that's amazing, man. Yeah. I, you know, I've, I remember um, you were one of the first larger accounts that actually followed me like maybe a year ago. And at the time, I think I had, you know, 1500 followers and I I'm now, you know, pushing a little over 7,000. So uh, and I appreciate you have been a, a big part of that. So thank you for, uh, for helping out the little guy. No, your, your content earned it. I don't retweet people unless I, or, uh, you know, refer people to, to good accounts unless they deserve it. So you yeah. no, for sure, definitely man. deserve the credit for it. Appreciate it. Um, so you ran a, a Liberty poll. Uh, you said you wanted to find out, you know, basically who the, the leader of the libertarian movement is i don't think you said party um what first off why did you do that well um because i've thought I've about this a lot about... so i'm just curious if you did it for the same reason i did or i would have so the, the thought process that i had and and this has been something i've been mulling over for a few weeks um but i, I just realized you know in in libertarian circles we like really value like loyalty to principles. Yes. Um, which, which is cool. I mean, I, I think that's the best way to go, but I don't think that that's like human nature at all. You know, like even from like an evolutionary standpoint, being loyal to a principle is not going to save you from being eaten by a lion or something like that, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I think people are just loyal to other people, you know, like, like we, we get all upset at Obama supporters. We're like, you're so inconsistent. You followed Obama because he was anti-war. He was uh, just as much of a warmonger as George W. Bush. You had no problem with it. And the truth is they're not loyal to principles. They're loyal to people, right? It's stupid to be loyal to Obama, but <laughs> yeah, but you know, it, it makes more sense in some ways to be loyal to a person. And so I just think, you know, if you look when the libertarian movement was growing the fastest it was when people were like we looking to a person rallying to a person yep and so i think i mean there's nothing unlibertarian about having a person that we follow and that we rally to so i was just you know wanting people to think about that a little bit you know the poll was kind of a fun way to do it whenever i whenever i ask a poll it's just to get people thinking that's that's the the purpose behind it and i have one one critique for you I think it was a huge mistake putting Ron Paul on there because it, I think basically where you were headed is that you're trying to find who the leader or, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems as if you're trying to find out who is the leader of the next, you know, Ron Paul right. movement, 
moment. Is that kind of where you were headed with it? That is kind of where I was headed with it. And yeah. I, I realized shortly into it, man, yeah, this is going to be, this is just going to be a Ron Paul show. Yeah. yeah. If anyone unseats Ron much... Paul, I would have lost my mind. So I'm glad, I'm glad he won. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that was, that would have been a real surprise, but it was, it, it was a mistake to do that in hindsight for sure. Maybe but, sometime in the future. I'm not going to do it right away. I'm not going to annoy all the people that were <laughs> tagged in that poll to force them to go through another one of those, but maybe at some point in the future, I'll do that again. But yeah, I, I, I agree with you, but I think it's still the, the main purpose was just making people think about, Hey, who, who can we rally around, you know, and, and I agree. rallying I, around a person and, is super valuable. Yeah. The, the main takeaway I had from that is that we are extremely divided on who we think other than Ron Paul, who we think we should rally around. It, it's like, you know, Morgan, um, unseated Hoppe and, uh, I think Dave Smith too. It's like, uh, from my vantage point, as much as I love Morgan, I, I definitely would not have taken her over, you know, Dave Smith in terms of, um, leading the next generation. I, I, I know, it seems as if, uh, particularly because you were more of a Joe Jorgensen fan than than some of us, uh, you probably have some beef with Dave Smith on that. Are you are you a fan of his? Are you a listener? Are you uh, do you have any like negative impressions of him, or or do you agree that he's probably doing the best job of you know the thirty something year olds that that's spreading the message? Yeah, no, I love Dave Smith. I think he's awesome, and I do listen to his podcast. Um, I I mean I do disagree with him on that. I also disagree with him on immigration. He talks about immigration and he's a little more open to the idea of, you know, um, a more restrictive immigration policy than I am. But yeah, yeah. I mean, he's going, he's going paleo. It, it feels like, like it's kind of yeah. where he's headed. I, I think he's, uh, he, he's more paleo than I am. That's for sure. But that's okay. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely a big fan of like building, you know, building coalitions and sure he's someone I would definitely be thrilled to have in any libertarian coalition. And he's, I mean, guy goes on Joe Rogan and he does a great job of representing libertarianism there. I mean, there's, there are things I disagree with them with on, but there are things I disagree with everybody on. So it's sure. Yeah. I think, I think from my vantage point, you know, you can't be the leader of this movement if you don't have access to, uh, the microphone and the microphone right now is Joe Rogan <laughs> and, and right. Dave's been on there four times. And I mean, he's probably done more for, for the libertarian movement uh, over the past four or five years than anybody else. And for that reason alone, you know, I would like to see him give serious consideration, whether it be running on the LP side or, or just kind of like sculpting the next leader that, that takes us into the next Ron Paul moment uh, moment. Uh, that, that's my biggest concern is that, you know, post Ron Paul, and as much as I like Joe, um, I really, I really strongly disagreed with her being selected. And I know you and I have gone back and forth on this a lot. And it's not that I think that she was the worst of the candidates. She might've actually been the best of the candidates that were running. My, my critique has always been, why the hell can't we get a, a young firebrand populist type like, like Dave Smith to run? You know, why can't we get one of these guys right. that would actually convert some hearts and minds uh, you know, make us seem as if we're kind of cutting edge as opposed to stodgy, you know, and, and not that Joe was awful at all. Like I, I really, none of this is a critique of her, so please don't take it that way. But I definitely feel as if sure. we need, we need a, I don't know, we need like a, an infusion of youth in this thing. We need our, our AOC, so to speak. 
Right. Yeah, that would be awesome. I, I agree 100%. I think, I mean, to your point, I do think she was probably the best of the, the options that we had at the time. Um, I, I was in the tank for um, Hornberger. He was, he was yeah, my favorite, but he was, you know, I mean, he really, he struggled in those debates. Um, he would, he would try and attack people and his attacks really didn't land very well. And so I, I, I wasn't disappointed when, when Joe won. Um, but it's, it's tough. You know, I mean, who else is it going to be? Dave is, he fits that um, brand of being a, a firebrand. I mean, maybe Amash, you know, that would have gotten some good, I don't know, establishment credit points or something like that, which there's some value to that, but there just really wasn't a ton of, of options that we had. So, and, and my, my biggest thing that I felt with it was just, you know, I mean, running for president on the libertarian ticket is a very thankless job. It's not like you're getting paid to do it. No, you're, you know, you have no chance of winning. You're going to be hated by half the libertarian party. Yeah. 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 So I, I, my biggest thing that I felt for Joe was just like, you know, I, I just want to be supportive of this lady, you know, like, yeah, she did some, plenty of things that annoyed me, but you know, I feel gratitude for her. And so I do too. And that I, and was, she was the biggest was, thing that I wanted to, she was, she was a 10 times better, um, you know, principled candidate than Gary Johnson in my, in my estimation. I, I really, I really yeah. appreciated, um, her, her takes on almost everything. I think that the the catastrophic mistake was having a, a social media manager who who wanted to signal to the left in in explicitly leftist terms, and that that has been my critique all along. It's not it's not that I think you shouldn't reach out reach out to the Black Lives Matter movement. I think you absolutely should. I just thought that it was handled in a way that was alienating to those that believe that collectivism is a mistake. And, and when you're, you know, supposed to be the thought leader of the libertarian movement, uh, at least in that six month span, you have to be very cautious about alienating your base. And I just thought that that was a, a huge misstep. Whether you agree with her or not, I mean, it, it absolutely, you know, lit her campaign on fire from, from the more right-leaning uh, members of the LP. And, and for that reason alone, you know, I just wish she had had a little bit better advisors like you or I, or I think a lot of people could have done a better job uh, at managing her messaging, but neither here nor there. Um, I appreciate Joe for running. So it is what it is at this point. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I wanted to ask you what, what do you see coming, uh, you know, economically, culturally, uh, where do you, where do you see this Titanic headed? Sorry, that was a leading question um, since I said Titanic, but you can guess where I feel it's going. <laughs> well, I think I'm more optimistic on this front than you are too. So I, I, I'm a one point. I think uh, I think it's Gene Epstein that makes makes this point is that sometimes you know libertarians we have so much respect for the free market, and we see all the things that the state is doing to like pervert the free market. And we're like, we look at it and we're just like, man, you're doing all of this. (laughs) There's no way this is going to turn out good. But his point is just, we're underestimating the power of the free market. You know, it can get through even all of the tampering that the state does, even all the tampering that the fed does. So I'm, I I mean, I, I know right now is probably the scariest time with all the lockdowns and, 
printing money like crazy and all this kind of stuff. But I, I, I'm fairly optimistic that we're going to get through it and be fine. So I'm not wow. too worried about it. Now, that being said, I do think it's worthwhile to prepare a little bit, you know, have some food stored away just in case, you know, something happens and it's hard to find food for your family and, you know, make sure you have some guns and some ammo just in case things get a little bit more violent. <laughs> yeah. Than, well, uh, we've uh, already seen a, a decent amount of violence. Well, yeah. I, and, and contrary to, you know, the impression that I give with my, my ominous tweets, sometimes I, I am extraordinarily optimistic long-term. Uh, the short-term is where I get very concerned. I mean, we haven't had a real recession uh, since 08, and we have done nothing to correct what led to that um, downfall last time. If anything, we've thrown, I don't know, nuclear bomb-sized you know, gasoline canisters onto the fire. And um, so in the, in the short to intermediate term, I just feel that you know, we're, we're headed towards a, a major economic correction and that's that's basically been the the point of my show is to try and advise people. Um, but I agree with you. Long term, I'm I'm very hopeful. I think that that the innovations uh, in in the cryptocurrency realm have given Absolutely. us a, a capacity to to extricate ourselves from the system and and operate in a a more agorist fashion that we could hopefully supplant the state or, or circumvent it. So yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I, I'm not I'm not totally doom and gloom. I'm just uh, just in the in the near term, I think we're going to have some issues. <laughs> so yeah, be be careful. I, I think that's definitely a possibility. We got to definitely be prepared. I, I mean, I love your point about cryptocurrency because I, I think when you look in the past at the most difficult financial collapses that took place, a lot of times that was because of hyperinflation, and I I think that's a very real possibility. In yep. you know, I, I don't know whether it'll be five years from now or 20 years from now or something like that. But it, it, the way we're printing money, I just don't understand how it hasn't happened already. So, yeah. um, well, but, I can, I can you give know, you, I, a, there's, there's not a positive answer, but the, it's a very straightforward one. The only reason we haven't had hyperinflation is because every other central bank on earth is doing the same thing simultaneously. We are, we are booing ourselves against a bunch of other deadbeats. Like that's really all, all there is to it. I mean, that's the Austrian yeah. answer at least. Absolutely. No, that, that makes perfect sense. And, but I do think, you know, having cryptocurrency as a, as a fallback, I, I'm hopeful that that will really soften the blow if that type of thing happens too. So, you know, I mean, that, that would be my message is, Hey, you know, be cautious, you know, make sure you're aware of, of the problems that, that will be created by state intervention and let's do everything we can to prevent those from happening. But, you know, I think, there's a lot to be hopeful for too. So, yeah, no, I, I agree, and and I think that um, probably the most hopeful thing that I've had over the past year is that, um, well, first and foremost, Trump managed to popularize the anti-war movement on the right wing, which is tremendous white pill for me. Um, it's huge. I, I didn't think I'd yeah, see that in awesome. my lifetime, and and they're kind of clamoring to bring troops home is just absolute music to my ears. So, that's tremendous. Um, what else was I going to say? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I see a lot of right wingers that have gone past him. It seems like, like they're, you know, they're now frustrated that he hasn't kept his promise to bring the troops home. It seems like so. Right, right. That's been a really awesome to see. Yeah, that. Oh, that, and then also the fact that they think that the election was stolen is is really disenchanting them with the concept of de democracy and um, 
you know, I think that you're going to have in some ways a very dangerous radicalization, but in some ways a very hopeful one. Uh, so I'm choosing to take the white pill once again and just believe that, you know, this is going to make a lot of people reconsider their faith in democracy and hopefully start to to decide that, you know, having their guy in power of this behemoth is not the solution. It's it's ending the behemoth itself. Um, so we'll see. We'll see if that actually goes yeah. that direction. But there's some op- some that's, reason for optimism. That's the only only solution. It didn't the liberals didn't catch it though <laughs> under Trump. So I'm not super hopeful that the the Democrat or I'm sorry the Republicans will. But yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, just keep beating that horse until they they get it. Do you, do you think that that the ultimate fate of the Libertarian Party is to just be a spoiler and that that even in the long term, we don't have the capacity to ever be a, a viable option? I mean, I don't even think we should run. I, I don't think the winning election should be the goal. Um, I think it should just be... Um, we're, we're set up in a two-party system. That's kind of the way, you know, it's, it's rigged against any other third party party system or third party that comes in and it, we, we complain a lot about that you know it's like hey they won't let us in the debates you know we have all these ballot access issues all you know straight line voting all that kind of stuff but personally I think being a third party in a two-party system can actually be really a powerful position like I, I've said this a lot on Twitter you know we we should be looking just to spoil the election mm-hmm. and and then really what we need to do. And this is, I I think we've done a decent job of at least looking like we spoiled the election in both 2016 and 2020. I think what we really need to do is start figuring out ways to leverage that, right? Like there's this idea in the Libertarian Party that the path to getting um, policies that we want is to turn a bunch of people into Libertarians, win elections, and then get the people that we elected to implement um, those libertarian policies and like none of those three things are going to happen <laughs> like yeah. like becoming a libertarian turning someone into a full-blown libertarian is really hard it's it, they have to read a lot you know yep. um winning elections that's that's very unlikely with it being rigged against us and then even if we do somehow do both of those things there's so many forces against us that are going to prevent us from actually passing the policy so i i think the way policy actually happens is people have leverage, right? You know, you show up at your congressman and be like, Hey, I'll give you money or, Hey, you know, I'll give you a job afterwards or, Hey, I have, I don't know, blackmail on you or something. Those are the types of things that actually make policy happen. And I think (laughs) being a spoiler in an election is that's a pretty powerful source of leverage, you know, (laughs) like, like we need to be using that. We need to. And I think that's exactly why you were upset with Joe Jorgensen for that, for that exact reason is that she was saying, if you're not in a swing state, you know, why not vote for me? It's like, it's like, no, no lady. Like we need to, we need to force the, the crafting of the, uh, you know, our, our enemies platform to appeal to us. Like that, that is our, our biggest strength is that we can actually get. And, and in my view, we successfully with the Ron Paul moment, we, we made the right wing reconsider its stance on militarism and interventionism like that is yeah that is huge um granted they did not adopt our fiscal responsibility uh way of thinking but neither did the democrats so we're we're screwed on that front um but as far as i'm concerned yeah i i agree with you it, for in the long term 
who knows anything could happen if we have a you know a revolution or we have a, a huge hyperinflationary depression or even a de deflationary depression um we could have people that are in so much pain they might consider a third party but up until that point happens it's it's completely pointless to think that you're going to have a libertarian that actually you know breaks the duopoly and and somehow gets the presidency so um, I agree with your tactic. I, I think it makes a lot of sense that the, the hard part about it, and I'm sure you're aware of this, is that you have to be willing to accept the fact that that you're probably going to get the candidate that you agree with even less. And um, a lot of people aren't willing to do that, you know, particularly this election. I know a ton of libertarians that went for Trump because they're so concerned about, you know, the Great Reset and the Build Back Better nonsense from, from the Biden camp. Um, and I don't blame them, yeah. you know, but at the same time, it's kind of like, you got to take take your poison where you can and and try and shift this uh, this Titanic, as I said. Yeah, and and I think I mean, spoiling elections doesn't have that much value. It has some value, you know, if if there's a candidate that's looking at the libertarians and saying, "Hey, you know, if I don't get them on board, there's a good chance they could spoil the election for me again." You know, that might have some real impacts on policy making. But I really think you know that that's something that we don't think about in the libertarian movement is how do we leverage that spoiler status? You know, I, I mean, if it was up to me, we would put something like in our, in the libertarian platform or in the bylaws that say, Hey, you know, here are 10 things that you can do while you're in office, you know, and mm -hmm. if you do any three of them, we will suspend our presidential campaign and we will throw all of our support behind you, right? And that, that's a huge amount of leverage that we have. And that could actually get policy done. That might be much better at getting policy done than even getting some of our people in there, right? That's so interesting. Yeah, I, I hadn't I considered that one. I really think that that's something that we're, we're missing the boat on is how to leverage that spoiler status now that we have it. I, I think that's a great tip. And, and honestly, you know, had, had Ron Paul... In 12, you know, particularly when he was, he was such a uh, just unbelievable source of, of hope and had such a, a youthful following. Uh, he, he probably had he had he offered that and I know Ron Paul's too principled to have ever done this. So that's probably why it didn't happen. But had he been willing to offer? Um, was it Romney in 12? I forget. Yeah, it was Romney in 12. Yeah, had he had he offered his endorsement and his support of his followers to Romney if he had got the VP nod, like, whew, I mean, we might have been one uh, one accident away from having Ron Paul as president. I, you know, <laughs> I know it's kind of diluted, but uh, that's probably as close as we're ever going to get. Is kind of like kind of like how women feel right now that the closest they're ever going to get to being the president uh, is to you know get a VP nod and then have a you know, octogenarian with multiple stroke victim pass away. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I would have loved to have seen, uh, seen Ron do that actually. That would have been interesting, but uh, you know, hindsight's yeah. 2020. We'll see. And we can see Rand in there. I mean, I would definitely vote Republican if it was Rand or Massey or, oh God, you know, don't even talk to any, me about any Massey. One of those guys. Tom, Thomas Massey is the sexiest man alive. I love him so much. <laughs> i mean like I, I do love massey he's the best he reminds me so much of ron it's crazy like he's so he he is the actual child of ron paul as far as i'm concerned he is just perfect in every single way um all right last question to get you out of here uh are you a voter fraud believer do you think that uh that there's any chance of of trump actually winning this thing in court uh giuliani for those that are listening uh came out with a bunch of accusations slash you know quasi evidence again today 
I, I'm still early enough in this that I don't have a, a firm belief one way or the other, but I think it was you that, that tweeted out that it's still, you know, a 10% vote uh, or 10% uh, odds that Trump wins the presidency. So obviously there are, there are people putting money where their mouth is. Do you, right. have you looked into it enough to have a real opinion on this yet? So, I mean, I've looked into it a little bit. I, I definitely am not an expert on the subject. I think that there's enough um, circumstantial evidence to be concerned, but I, I'm not on the, the, in the camp of saying there's definitely fraud there or anything like that. I'm, but I'm, I'm waiting to find out. And, and like I said earlier, I mean, not only does 10% mean that there's people that are willing to bet, you know, um, a lot of money to, um, that Trump is going to win, but that also means that there aren't enough people confident enough to take those bets to, to force those odds down. Right. So I, I really think the people that are coming out and saying, that they're a hundred percent confident that oh yeah uh, Biden they're, has it in the bag. I think they're they're out of their they're minds. Wrong, they're lying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they are because because you know you inverse those odds. You'd have to bet nine hundred bucks basically to make a hundred on Biden right now. Um, I wouldn't take those odds. Not a chance in hell. You know. Um, yeah. And and I I haven't seen anything definitive, but I think that there is enough uh, smoke where I I think there there could definitely be fire. I I don't believe you know, for a second, if you look at the, the Russian collusion, collusion investigation for the past four years, um, you have Adam Schiff and all these people that are on, on the media 24 seven, uh, just saying completely fictitious stuff. And, and yet they never get cut away from, but then Kaylee goes on there on and, and Fox news of all places cuts away as she's just like laying out the prelim, preliminary case, you know, for a voter fraud investigation. And they cut away going, Oh, and I can't in good consciousness, uh, report this to my to my viewers it's like dude are you fucking kidding me like you guys ran with every made up nonsense deep state lie uh, about you know trump's involvement with the russians for the past four years and now you caught a conscious like this is so it so when i saw that i was like okay well maybe there's something here like if they're gonna if they're gonna actually cut away from this either either there's something there or they think this is so dangerous to um you know civilization that they have to cut away from it but either way uh i'm I'm skeptical enough to, you know, I, I might throw a couple ducats on the, uh, the Trump to win for, you know, plus 800 or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. Those odds, those odds are pretty good. If you are confident that Trump is going to win, go make some money. But I, I think the odds are pretty much about right. You know, I, I think, yeah, I agree. 10% and, chance. And they usually are right. It in. <laughs> you know, yeah. what's crazy though, dude, so, for the uh, night of the election, uh, it got up to, you know, 80% Trump after he crushed, right. you know, on the night of the election. And then those dumps came in. I, I stayed up very late at night because I, I knew that the that the mail-in ballots would start to be counted and I'm a total deranged lunatic. So I was watching <laughs> as the uh, the hundreds and hundreds of thousands of votes specifically for Biden got dumped at like 3.30 in the morning in Pennsylvania. It was only, you know, uh, 12.30 out here. And at, when I when I saw that, I was like, my alarms went off right away because I was like, I know, I knew that there would be more Democrats that were mailing in ballots. Like that's a given, but to have that magnitude of a shift, uh, I don't know, man, it, it's, it's a, it's an eyebrow lifter, it, particularly when you consider that no other, you know, seats were picked up, uh, in, in the down ballot elections. It's like the Republicans crushed the Democrats in almost every other way, but then just right. in these, these small swing States with mail-in ballots in the middle of the night, it's like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. 
Tough to prove though, too. I mean, yes. If if there was fraud, what do you do? I mean, you check the signatures against uh, on the on the letter or on envelopes, but I mean, then once you check the signatures on the envelopes, how do you know which <laughs> ballot it's matched up to? Because they they separate them afterwards. And oh yeah, it's, know, it was, it's a disaster. I mean, if you if you think you're gonna properly audit an election. Uh, using the government organization that held the election. Good luck. That's like auditing, auditing the right. Fed. Like you're never going to get to the bottom of this. I think the only way they do it is if the, there's a whistleblower or someone who who drops dime and and hands them over evidence that they were actually manipulating the results in the counting side. I, I don't think that this was handled in a way um, where the fraud would have been in actual physical ballots. It, my my estimation is that the only way that this is proven out. And, and probably the likely way it was done, if it was done, would be to um, change the results in the computer systems. Like they, they outsource the data to Germany, um, it's stored there, and then they send the results back. I'm like, this is just, this is, you know, I'm not some OPSEC guy, but uh, if I was interested in having security, there's no way in hell I would have it hooked up to the internet um, and have the government running yeah. this. It's just like, it's a disaster waiting to happen. Yeah, I, I don't know whether they, these claims got debunked, but I did see the, you know, all the conspiracy theories about Dominion and things like that. So that's possible. That that would be a way to prove it if if the Dominion results that it spit out don't match the uh, the hand count. Yeah, I think you know, I that's, think that's exactly that's exactly where it had to have happened. It's just whether or not it did, and we'll find out if if Trump gets put in there. Um, You've got to be pessimistic about the short-term violence that would erupt, or or are you still yeah. managing to find optimism in that? Because I am not. No, I'm I'm not finding any optimism. In that. <laughs> and actually, that that that's something that I wonder about is, you know, if the Trump team can prove it, are the courts going to have the courage to overturn the the election? Because seriously, even in that situation, if I was in their shoes and I was thinking about the violence, it would be like, Ugh. <laughs> Do yeah. I want to? Do I want to unleash that on the country? So you no, know, I I think it will be crazy. I am not. Well, not not only excited that about that at all. Yeah, not only that, but also it would be definitive evidence that our democracy is a sham, and I, I don't think that the system is ever going to allow that to be, um, you know, proven in court. You know, like that would be just catastrophic to the the faith in the uh, the election system. But at the same time, if they don't do it. 75 million people or so, maybe more, are going to, you know, carry on with this belief that the election was stolen from them. So I don't know, man. It's, uh, it's interesting times. Uh, as my therapist tells me, uh, you can either be anxious or you can be uh, excited to find out what happened. So I'm choosing to be <laughs> excited about what, where we had. Um, you got any other, uh, anything you'd like to cover or should we get, get out of here? I think we're good. All right. Appreciate it, brother. Um, tell people where they can find you. Are, are you on other social media or are you just a Twitter guy like me? I just do Twitter. Yeah, that's it. So checkmate state. Um, yeah. Get, follow me there. Give him a follow. He's one of the best, if not the best, if not the leader of libertarianism. Thank you so much for Kurt for coming on. <laughs> I, I am uh, proud to have popped your cherry when it comes to podcasting. <laughs> All, right. Good. Thanks, All right. Appreciate you, brother. Talk soon. This episode is brought to you by Liberty Lockdown Podcast. Yeah, it's brought to you by me uh, because I fund this and I do this all on my own dime. And the only thing you have to do to support this show is share it with friends, obviously. Retweet it because that's dope. And who doesn't want to be a based homeboy? 
and leave a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. That's all you got to do. You can write up some nonsense. You can say crazy shit. It doesn't matter. Just leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. And if you put your Twitter uh, handle or social media info in it, I will read it off on next week's show. How cool is that? Love you guys. We'll catch you next week. Peace out.